Welcome back to another episode of The Millennial Entrepreneur. My name's Sina. I love following the journeys of other young entrepreneurs. In this episode, I spoke with Isabel Kenyon, the founder and CEO of Calibrate, a metabolic health company, on a mission to change the way the world treats weight. Since 2020, they have helped over 20,000 Americans improve metabolic health, showing results with members having averaged 15% sustained weight loss, surpassing the best outcomes from even peer-reviewed clinical trials. This has been an extremely exciting guest that I've had on the podcast, and we I don't think we've talked about health tech and like healthcare uh, to, you know, business is enough. And that's why I loved having Isabel on the podcast. And so we cover how Isabel starts to calibrate by reading academic papers around weight loss and how she commercialized the academic literature to a sustainable business, having raised more than $125 million to date. She's answers the question around, do you need to be a healthcare professional to start and grow a health company? Because I know so many guys want to grow a health company or like want to get started in that as Isabel doesn't come from that background herself. And lastly, how she tested the idea and the considerations you need to take when testing and starting out a health tech or healthcare providing company that are very unique to this space and the different types you can get traction or you know different types of MVP, basically any ways that you can test out and start out the, the health tech or healthcare company. Before we go on, it'll be amazing if you could leave a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts because it helps out the channel so much. And if you're not on Apple Podcasts, you can do the same on Spotify or give us a follow on Instagram because any support helps the podcast and help these messages from amazing founders such as Isabel get out there and help people, which is kind of why we started in the first place and help young people especially. And as a thank you, I'll give you a shout out in one of the next few episodes. You got my word on that. Again, thank you so much for clicking on this episode of The Millennial Entrepreneur and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey, Isabel, how are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Thanks for having me back. No, it's amazing to have you on. So I guess like as a, as a reference point, I had you on for Elevating Founders, which is another podcast that I host. And I love talking to you so much that I just invited you on my one because the story that you have growing a health tech to where it is right now, it's absolutely phenomenal. And what I loved about your story the most as well is because you didn't come from a healthcare background yourself. You weren't, you're not a healthcare professional. You have grown health techs before. And that really solidified for me how accessible, I guess, like not inaccessible, it's more accessible than people might think getting into health tech, right? So I guess like before we jump in, I would love to talk about what is Calibrate. Calibrate is a metabolic health business on a mission to change the way the world treats weight. And the insight for the business really came from an experience I had with my mom, helping her find a doctor to help her lose weight, learning that we've had three decades of research on how to treat obesity and we haven't been making it available or accessible to people. When did you start actually firstly and then we can kind of talk about the growth Fall of 2019, so about two and a half years ago. That is crazy because the growth that you've experienced within the last like <laughs> from from 2019 to now, it's been it's been like phenomenal. There like how, how has that all happened? Like actually blows my mind. Because <laughs> <laughs> the last time last time we spoke, I think you were in the process of hiring or doubling your team or something like that. It was a pretty crazy story. (laughs) So I guess like what's been the growth like just to give people a bit more context? Sure. There are about 600 people on the team today. When we launched in June of 2020, there were 10. Um, And there are about 20,000 customers or members, we call them through the business today. Um, And we've raised about $125 million since we've launched. That is absolutely phenomenal. When you first started Calibrate, so obviously you had that problem in your mind of like, there's been all this... So like, remind me, so there's been all this like healthcare, sorry, like weight Clinical loss research, research, basically, demonstrating that the combination of what's called an intensive lifestyle intervention, which is a set of behavior change 
delivered through a structured curriculum or intervention um, combined with medication is the right way to treat obesity long term because it improves your underlying metabolic health, which sets your body up to sustain a lower body weight. Um, and I just couldn't believe that that was available, that we've known about it in clinical research. We hadn't been getting it to people in the real world. And so that discovery was really the aha for me, reached out to the people who'd written the research, who'd published the research and said, help me bring this to people in the real world. And to your earlier question, the first person I hired was our chief medical officer, Kim Boyd, and worked with her really closely because I'm not a doctor. So when you went, so like, talk me through it. So you talk, you, you read through this research, it kind of blew your mind, I guess, like, why is this not accessible to Americans? Why is it not accessible to people across the world? Yeah. What were the next steps? Like, what did you do about it? Just truly started cold emailing the people who'd written the research and said, tell me about your research, talk to me about your research, who does it work for, who does it not work for, how could we make it available to more people, how could we make it accessible, tell me more about your research. So then they would tell you like all this like information and but your mission there was to try to make it accessible to everyone. Right, I just said like hey sit and talk to me, tell me what you did in the clinical trial and tell me what it would look like if I wanted to do that for patients anywhere and often there was like a quick pause I don't know if you could make it available for patients anywhere. I'd say, why? And they'd say, because no one would pay for it. And I'm like, I'll figure out that. That's my job when I build a business to figure out who pays for it. But you tell me what it would look like to deliver what you did in clinical research in the real world. Mm, yeah, because I, so I, I, I mentor a lot of student startups and um, talk to a lot of student startups, obviously. And, and like a few of them who come from, especially like PhD backgrounds who like have an amazing research across like multiple different fields. A huge thing that they struggle with is like commercializing something that's truly, truly groundbreaking, right? And that's obviously like a big challenge. So when you read all that research and you, you spoke to all these like uh, researchers and you realize that it can be made accessible, what was like, I guess what was a clicking point for you to make it seem like I can make this accessible to everyone? I just thought like we have to change the way the world treats weight. Like we know right here in clinical research that this works, that this treatment works and we're yeah. just doing this. But how did you, how did you practically do that? Like how did you practically yeah, take like, that, that concept available to... or accessible to my mom and it should be right. And so like her doctor said, I'll prescribe the medication and then you can figure out the lifestyle piece. And I'm like, but that's not what the research shows. The research shows those two things have to be combined. And she's like, yeah, you know, doesn't really happen in the real world. And I just think that's crazy. Like we have to go make that happen in the real world. And so start emailing the people who delivered the research or sorry, who delivered the intervention, the lifestyle intervention and say, like, how would we deliver this in the real world? What could it look like? How could you make it available and accessible to people anywhere? How could you make it available remotely? What would that look like? We opened a clinic, actually a brick and mortar clinic to test and learn um, and basically said, this is what, you know, this is how you could deliver a treatment and you could actually use technology to massively scale the application of that treatment and say this could be really affordable for more people in more places if you could break it down into different pieces and you could figure out what are the parts that have to be human what are the parts that work really well when it's a human and what are the parts that don't have to be a human and how do you you know break down those pieces make it modular and make it interchangeable um so that you can figure out which pieces can be delivered synchronously versus asynchronously that sounds like a huge task like all those things that you talked about no, because you obviously took a mass, massive bunch of, of research right but i launched the business basically just taking the research and breaking it down into a clinical program that we wanted to deliver in the real so how did you like practically test it you talked you talked about opening a brick and mortar store and obviously cold emailing different different people across different organizations but I guess, like, what was the most effective testing of this, you know, commercialization or accessibility 
from that research to the real world? It was just when we started to get friends and family to do it. So we got about 30 friends and family to do it in the winter of 2019 into 2020. Um, and obviously it was quite a distracting time since the pandemic was taking foot. But got about, I think there were about 30 friends and family who joined a beta program that we were running and just started to learn like what works, what doesn't work, what's covered by insurance, what's not covered by insurance. How do you navigate that? How do you figure out? We had nutritionists working one-to-one with members in the beginning, realized that would never scale, realized you couldn't control a, a broader nutrition that way. Um, and so put nutrition back into the curriculum and put like coaching back, uh, separated co- the nutrition out of coaching, but like tested and learned and iterated lots of different pieces of the program. But ultimately you don't learn anything until it's live. You just need it live. You need real volume. You need people who aren't friends and family. You need people who are who are paying for your product in the real world to come tell you what they think of it. So what was the biggest like difference between the two? I'm trying to remember how long. For the first somewhere between nine and 12 months, we ran an early access program that was, I think it was about nine months, that was just join the program at a discount and give us feedback. Tell us what's working, what's not working. And the first probably thousand members came through that way. What does the treatment look like? And what's the, what's the treatment you, you did when you first tested it? Um, I, I like that, that, that second stage that you talked about. A one-year program today. And the program combines intensive lifestyle intervention on the way you eat, sleep, exercise, and manage your emotional health. Those behavior changes are all meant to be small wins that are sustainable, that are buildable, and that ultimately change your underlying physiology to so change your body's underlying reaction to food, sleep, energy, exercise. Um, and... That is combined with the doctor's visit and medication. That medication uh, today is called a GLP-1 medication. It's a class of medications. And the combination works in tandem to change your body's underlying metabolic system and reset the metabolic system. The product is called a metabolic reset to help you maintain or sustain a lower body weight. Mm, that's very very interesting today there so are also year you, two and beyond programs called master's programs uh that our members join to continue in the calibrate community to continue practicing and sustaining their goals so you had you had that sort of like program like what was so you tested out with with like friends and family firstly but then you mentioned like you don't really get testing at scale until you actually launch so what did the launch look like how did you test this concept at a higher scale because testing health techs must be it must come with its own challenges for sure, there is just a minimum viable product that is, you know, step function more rigorous than a minimum viable product in another category. So we launched late June 2020 and really worked with press, word of mouth, and search, search ads to basically capture intent, people who were already looking for medical solutions for weight loss, people who were looking for metabolic health solutions, people who were looking for information about prediabetes, people who are looking for the category more broadly and presenting Calibrate as a solution there. And so over time, got to learn what messaging works, what product works, what pricing works, what timeframe works. When in the beginning, the coaching was delivered weekly, then biweekly, then monthly. By the time people got to monthly, they said, we still need biweekly. And so we changed the entire program to biweekly coaching, but got to really iterate through both the content of the product and then also the marketing, the messaging, the way that we explain the product. See, like we talk about on this, on this podcast so many times, like how to test an idea, because a lot of like people are student startups, they don't have much budget. So testing is so important before like actually, you know, growing it, because then if you're growing it and the problem doesn't really exist, or your solution doesn't fix the problem as well as you might think, then 
you're just wasting money. And I've been through that phase where I wasted a ton of, not ton of money, but just at the time, it was quite a lot to me um, of money where like I just built tech without actually testing it. So I just like waste a lot of money. So um, I health tech is, a, is an area that we had on the podcast before, but what are kind of like very unique challenges that come with the MVP of a health tech specifically? Um, because I know those of people that are listening would love to start a health tech, but I guess like what are, what are some specific challenges? There just isn't an MVP. You just have to be delivering the standard of care, right? And so I think there are things like you don't have to have your email marketing hammered out and every email marketing per message perfect, but you do have to have every doctor's appointment, every interaction with the doctor perfect. Like there's no excuse there. There's no cutting corners there. You have to meet the standard of care. And so I think in some ways it's just accepting that it's not as iterative or as possible here, but in other ways it's taking that and running with it and saying like, okay, great. Like I get to deliver an amazing standard of care, which means I get to propel the business forward that much faster because we've already figured out what the care model looks like. We have not, you haven't heard me talk about iterating the care model. We have not iterated the clinical care model, uh, but we have really thought about, you know, what are ways to engage consumers differently? What are ways to message to consumers differently? What are ways to explain things to consumers? to ask consumers to share, calibrate differently. We've definitely iterated through the messaging, the positioning, and I think that's the ultimate opportunity uh, to, to make sure that you're focused on. And I think for us, what we did super tactically is before we launched, we ran a one-day war room where everyone wrote down into a spreadsheet every assumption that they'd made and what the hypothesis baked into it was and when they committed to the team to circle back to it. And so some were four weeks after launch, some were 12 weeks after launch. I think some might've been up to 26 weeks after launch. We were going to say like, hey, we made, a, we made a hypothesis. We made a bet on this part of the experience. And we want to circle back and see if that bet is true or not. And so really holding the team to, it was a really small team at the time. It was nine, nine people, 10, 10 people, including me. And we made a commitment to basically say, wherever there are hypotheses baked into what we're doing or assumptions baked into what we're doing, let's document them out. It's difficult though because I feel like with with a software or with like a normal product, like you can put out pretty much like the most rubbish thing, and that's like what you're meant to do, and people actually interact with it. But with like what you're saying, you kind of have to have it to a point where it's, it's pretty perfect because as well you rely so much on word of mouth even at the beginning, and also trust is such a big element in this in this field right now. Well, like always, right? Because you have like people are doing things to their bodies, whereas like for a product like mine if they hated it, they just don't use it and nothing really happens to them. But this is like health. So yeah. It, 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 the those, are, those thing about healthcare and it, why I think people refer to it as tech enabled services in healthcare is that doctors are really good at what they do. And doctors have been to 10 years of school and doctors have been practicing and doctors have been, you know, you, at the end of the day, we don't tell doctors what to do at all. <laughs> we give them tools, we give them um, customers, but then they decide what to do. They look at those patients' medical histories. They decide whether or not medication is appropriate for them. They decide which medication to prescribe. That is all a doctor's call. And so at the end of the day, all you have to do is hire really great doctors and give them tools that work. And giving them tools that work is hard. <laughs> and we've definitely iterated through that. But that is what you have to do, right? You have to hire great doctors and give them a platform. And so you don't ultimately, it's not up to me, the entrepreneur, to define the standard of care. It exists. And doctors know it. And so it's up to me, the entrepreneur, to give doctors a new platform, a new way of reaching people and to say, let me help you practice at the top of your license. Let me help you 
figure out the things that you can uniquely do. I love that answer so much because it takes your position away from being like an expert in healthcare, which is like, I think when people want to get into health tech, they think I'm gonna have to be the expert in everything. When in actual fact, like we all, you, you reframed it so perfectly saying that actually the doctors are obviously the experts, but we're, what we're doing is just like building things around them to make it more accessible to, to make that you know, standard of care more accessible to everyone. I mean, to be fair, I've never really thought about it that way. So it's a very cool way to think about it. It's very, it reframes in a very positive light. And I think that goes on very well to, because I think a lot of people listening might think that healthcare, health tech might not be accessible for them um, because they're not healthcare professionals themselves. But like you, you obviously don't come from that background. I would say the the first thing you have to do is find a doctor who believes in you and the vision and will be your partner in defining that vision and who will help you figure out what are we trying to deliver for consumers and is that possible and what does that look like and who will recruit the first doctors and who will recruit the first nurses and who will set your business up for success by grounding it in real deep clinical applications from the very, very beginning. And I think I got really, really lucky there. I met my chief medical officer. She was really the only doctor I met. And we just clicked from the beginning in terms of what we really believed that total metabolic health looked like for consumers. And she went and did all the research on how to bring that to life for people and then recruited all the doctors to deliver that care. Isabel talks so well about the stages of, you know, taking this to the mass market. So she started testing out their friends and then did the MVP style approach, you know, getting, you know, signups on her website. And she obviously got that data. But I wanted to ask her about what was the next stage after that? Because I feel like you need a fair bit of funding to actually grow a healthcare business, more more so than other maybe, maybe other businesses. And so I wanted to get her, her take on that. But before I do, I've been in the podcasting space for a long time, about two years, and I, I have like other podcasts other than this I host. And a question I get asked all the time is like, I guess, how do you start a podcast? And one tool that I absolutely love, and they actually sponsor the podcast now, is Zencaster. And they solved a massive problem for me when I started my podcast during the pandemic because the biggest challenge for me was recording remotely while maintaining the quality because Zoom and other video chat you know, uh, platforms, they're not built for podcasting and they don't cut it in terms of quality. Now, the absolutely spectacular thing about Zencaster is that they record audio on both my side and my guest's side, which means there's no loss in quality when the call you know, drops out for a second or anything like that. You will never hear that as the guest, as the audience, sorry. And so that's why it's the best platform um, that I've used. And I've been using it for about two years. I started using it in my podcast journey and I haven't deviated from it because it, it's so, so good. I'm not just saying that because they're the sponsor of the podcast. I genuinely do use them. And if any of you guys have messaged me about how to start a podcast, this is one of the first tools that I recommend. They have a free version, which I actually use. But if you want to make your podcasting experience to the next level, like an AI powered transcript service or automatic post-production with editing, you can use my link in the description and you'll get 30% off your first three months. Just use zen.ai slash the millennial entrepreneur zero, or you can just press the link in the description and it will, it will take you there. Um, but as I say, yeah, free version. But if you want to take your podcasting to the next level, then please do use my link. Now back on with the show. You do. And we had raised money before we launched. And then we had raised money again about four months after we launched, five months after we launched. How do you, how do you raise money without actually having that product at the beginning or like any data at the beginning? At that point, you're just looking for partners. You're looking for people who believe in you, who believe in the mission, who believe in the small team that you put together at that point. Um, Kim was a, my chief medical officer was a consultant before she joined full time. But people who really believe in in the 
group of people you've put around the business and that group of people you're putting around the business with stock, right? And so it's a total catch-22 on what's the stock worth and what's and going and getting funding. But you have to just play the game between the two things until you have someone who believes in you enough to invest. Would you say health tech is a, is a sort of like business model or like the, the industry where funding is pretty imperative? I think so. I, I, I can totally imagine, you know, specialized categories where, especially if you were a doctor, you could start a business without, but if you're not, I think it's pretty hard. That's what I was thinking as well, because with other things you could pretty much go bootstraps, but what's interesting is that you raise money, like without actually having that product. I know like people back your team. So I guess like, would you say the secret, but regard like behind, I guess, raising money before you launch in, in health tech is like building that really solid team around you and like the expertise. You have to have an idea. You have to be excited about it, but ultimately people are betting on you and the team. What were the kind of key growth strategies to getting to like, you got the funding. What was the, what was the next stage? It was really just at that point about getting customers and then our North star, which is driving outcomes for those customers. And we believed from the beginning that if the product worked, the business would work. Consumers would pay for it if it worked. Their health plans, their payers, their employers would pay for it if it worked. Their um, The government would pay for it for Medicare and Medicaid patients if it worked. And so we really believed that the product had to work and that had to be what differentiated Calibrate. And so really went to work making sure that the product worked and making sure we were driving outcomes for every single member. So was it like partnerships? Was it like adverts to drive people to your sites? Like what was the kind of what was the best thing? What was the best growth strategy that you guys implemented to get users? No, referral. We believed like if this product works, people will tell their friends and family about it, right? Like weight is an inherently viral thing. If someone loses weight, you ask them, you look great. What'd you do? And so we knew that if the product worked, everything else would work. And so it's important to figure out messaging. It's important to figure out marketing. It's important to figure out paid acquisition channels. But ultimately we knew that results would be the North star. And that if you could drive results for members, the business would work. Besides, besides having like a, an amazing product or like service that you guys already had, how else would you say you can like hack that word of mouth element that, that you guys did? Or was it literally just like quality of product? Quality of product goes a long, long way. And I don't think that you can build referral around a product that doesn't work. It just, I don't think that happens. But I do think figuring out the magic moments, figuring out when does someone want to share, what will make someone share, how do you prompt someone to share is all really powerful. And we have an incredible team who worked on figuring that out. What are the moments that matter for consumers? What are the wins that they'll celebrate? And ultimately for us, it came down to, so you have biweekly coaching sessions where you're face-to-face with your coach and you're so excited. You're celebrating the wins every couple of weeks. We call them today's big win. And they're this idea that small wins add up to big wins, right? And so things that you do consistently add up to big wins over time. And so when you're in that coaching session celebrating today's big win, that's the perfect time for a coach to ask you to share Calibrate. That's really interesting. And I think that's the whole like business analysis in, in its own right is like, where, how do you kind of analyze where people share things and like how people share most effectively? How long does that whole process take? Have you like, I guess, perfecting that? I don't know. I can't remember, honestly, these things all blur, maybe a few months. But we tested and iterated asking members for reviews a bunch of ways. I emailed members and asked for reviews. Didn't work at all. <laughs> um, didn't get a single review. Um, um, yeah. And then we asked, we started asking coaches to do it and it worked really, really well. And now we know the, the specific moments in the program where a coach can ask for a review that'll work. That's so that's so funny. Like Because obviously your product was amazing and people were using it, but then you actually emailing them, asking for a review, people wouldn't do it. And then like, but then you just like shift it slightly to something else across the business, <laughs> another touch point. 
and it just works so effectively. I didn't get a single review for my email. I think I emailed 200 members a couple of times, like two or three times, and we didn't get a single review. And then we'd ask the coaches to do it. Reviews start pouring in. <laughs> That's amazing. But that, that, that definitely shows the importance of like analyzing the different touch points and where people will do it. Because I know loads of people that, like entrepreneurs who would email their customers and like leave like please leave a review they don't reply and then like okay well maybe our product stinks <laughs> and it's like I think the touch points are things that like haven't aren't really talked about as much for word of mouth I'd say and something that we're definitely analyzing for Wing at the moment like my business is like how do you like where are the touch points that people can like refer this to someone else or like how can people like I guess like share their affiliate link or something like that because um, it's not always to do with the products and it's something that like yeah it isn't talked about as much I, th I think yeah I can't emphasize enough how much you have to test and iterate there you know if your member likes your product or not if your customer likes your product or not and so you've got to believe your gut on that and you definitely can't take the one bad review the you know the skipped email as a sign you have to go deep and understand what do people like about this what do people not like about this you have to talk to customers as much as possible I spoke to hundreds if not thousands of our earliest members and I would call them all the time. I still do it sometimes, but just really try to understand what do people, what do people appreciate about your product? What makes your product magic for them? What makes it shareable for them? What makes it work for them? And then really understanding what do they not like about it? What can you change? And like, then I think reading between the noise there, because if you ask someone what they don't like about something, you'll get a lot of answers and figuring out what would really step function increase, you know, improve this experience for people. That's the beauty of like a magical product team, which we have too, which is saying people are asking for X, but we think we can give them this other thing, which solves that problem. That's absolutely fantastic. Isabel, we're going to have to wrap it up there. It's been so great talking to you about Calibrate. I, I would love to know, like, what's, what's next for Calibrate? We are now really focused on just proving that Calibrate works at scale. We published the results from our first 800 or so members earlier this year, trying to 5x that this year, making sure that for the next 50,000 members, we can make sure that we're driving the same outcome as we did for the first 10,000. And then making Calibrate accessible, partnering with insurance companies, employers to make Calibrate accessible to more people. That sounds absolutely fantastic. I think like the main message I want to get to audience members like for this episode is that health tech is in, an extremely important like thing to do for sure. Like especially in the US, maybe not as much in the UK, but especially in the US. And obviously we've got US listeners and you don't need to be a doctor. You don't need to be that healthcare professional to do it as long as you I think what you said is surround yourself with that team of professionals and you can kind of like leverage the different talents. So I think obviously that goes for like different businesses as well, like leveraging different talents, complementary talents, but ever like so important in this, right? Yeah, just to make it more accessible to everyone. I I, I love that message because that, that whole like shift, like frame shift, but you said like you, you're not the expert, but you're like building the tools to make their expertise more accessible to everyone. I, I love that message and I think like, yeah, that's the thing that I'm hoping people will take on when, when you know, starting their health tech. So Isabel, thank you so much for coming on the podcast again and I'm sure we'll talk very soon. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Millionaire Entrepreneur. I hope you did enjoy. If you did, please be sure to leave a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts. And as I thank you, I'll give you a shout out in one of the next few episodes. There's a bit of a build-up at the moment, so I will get around to it, I promise you. But before we wrap up, I want to give you a quick message from one of our sponsors, VinoVest. Uh, before I go, uh, this is not financial advice, so do not take my advice. But as someone that invests a lot in a lot of different things um, and really wants to diversify, I'm constantly looking for new opportunities. And I recently stumbled across VinoVest. And of course, they sponsor the podcast as well. 
I personally haven't invested with them, but I'm looking at them extremely closely because it's a very interesting space for me. And the reason why it's an interesting space is because fine wine has long been a cornerstone of wealth generation and preservation. But the problem is, it's only been reserved for the ultra wealthy and the people who are very knowledgeable about that space. And VinoVest is changing that. Um, wine has a third of the volatility of the stock market and has outperformed global equities market over the last 30 years, according to their sources, with a 10.6 annualized return. Now, that's pretty good, right? Like, I, I'm, that's why I'm so interested in, in looking at them. Now, I don't know anything about wine. I'm, I'm like the worst person to ask about wine. I don't know anything. I don't even drink it. Um, but I'm always looking for investment. And this does seem like a very cool thing to go into um, and a good platform to go into if you want to get exposure to the wine market. Um, and they're equipped with you know, a team of world-class sommeliers who evaluate wine and determine which ones will gain value over time. And you own the, the wines in your portfolio outright. So you can actually hold them and you can buy them and also sell them. Um, or even drink them, right? Like it's pretty cool in that way. So if you are interested in checking them out and you want to get a bit of exposure to the, to the wine market, these guys are probably your best shout. Um, so if you do want to check them out, go to zen.ai slash the entrepreneur and you'll receive two months of fee-free investing. Um, and if that link is a bit too long, then do just click on the link in the description. Again, this is not financial advice and you may lose your money. Your capital is at risk, but it's worth checking them out. So thank you again for listening to this episode of the podcast and I'll catch you in the very next one. See you later.